Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. We've got Jake Schwanitz here. We're going to go around the country and talk about everything that's happening as far as conference realignment goes. I'm going to go over just some of the general news in, in college football as a whole. It's been a, a weird summer, to say the least. It's been a busy one. Um, obviously, we're at the beginning of training camp, so NFL season heating up, college football heating up. We're going to start getting into the the uh, prospect evaluation process of this whole thing here shortly probably a week or two. We'll kind of have to see how that all plays out. But uh, today, we're just going to go all, all around the country and talk about everything that the state of college football has been very debatable, to say the least. There's just so much happening on so many different fronts. And that includes Penn State players seeking revenue sharing and health care in negotiations with the big, the Penn State football team attempting to unionize. Jake, what are your thoughts on this? Um, man, I mean, so much to get into with just this one thing, but just pretty crazy how fast this is all moving. Uh, first thing I thought of was, I think about 10 years ago, I remember it made big news that Northwestern tried to unionize, um, of course, also a big 10 school. And that was just a different time compared to where we are today, because now you hear about Penn State players kind of getting together. Um, I should say real quick, uh, Unionize, I don't think is the right word because they are just trying to seek revenue share and some healthcare stuff. I mean, eventually we're, that's unionizing eventually at a certain point, right? But um, just to be accurate early on, they haven't used that word yet. Uh, it's just, it's crazy, man. I mean, it, they have to do something, I feel like, though, right? Because, I mean, all this money is being thrown around. Of course, the revenue issue in college football is massive in terms of who gets the money. Um, and players are rightfully so coming for their slice of the pie. Uh, it's just, I, is this the new precedent? Are you going to have every team start to unionize? Or are you going to have a college football players union? It's just, where do we go from here? And how many other cans of worms do we open with this one now? Uh, what about you? My you gut think? reaction is that we are getting closer and closer, particularly with the, the chaoticness of NIL. And I think that there's deep fears from some of these coaches and administrators that they're going to lose control of their programs because, I mean, when it's boosters throwing out money, you know, it can get real complicated real quick. I, I bet at some point the colleges just decide to, to do a form of revenue share and just pay the, the players directly. Like, we'll just reach that point where they're like, at least at this point, we are controlling it. You know, we're not allowing the boosters to, to run amok. It's, it's going to happen at some point. I don't know how much, how that's going to work out. But to me, that's what we're heading towards is potentially maybe even like a, a cleaner structure just because right now with the way it's being done through NIL, it's just kind of wild, wild west, no rules. But yeah, I think that's kind of what we're heading towards. Yeah, I think it's also important that this is happening within the Big Ten too, which is, I mean, we're going to get into more headlines that the Big Ten commissioner has created over the past couple of weeks, but uh, this is obviously the conference trying to move forward and power this new college football movement um, and seeing the players and teams just kind of step up like this already. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy how fast it's changing. It's crazy that the big 10 all of a sudden is like running college football in a word, in a way. Um, and it's, 
I don't know. We'll get into the other conferences as we go because uh, the well, it makes me think of, of Justin's Fields, right? Like Justin Fields and, and Trevor Lawrence essentially stepping up and making a college football season happen in 2020. That you know, I I think we saw the type of power that these individuals have now, and they're they're just kind of using it more. And you know, there, there's pros and cons to all of this, but it, it's good to see the players, you know, speaking up and trying to get what they probably should have been getting a, a long time ago. So I, I think it's in this regard, we're heading in the right direction, you know, players getting compensated, all of, all of that stuff. I personally, and, and I know a lot of coaches feel the same way, having talked to them about it, just want to see some type of regulation. I think right now it's very shady with the way all of this is happening. I think it's going to lead to I mean, just a lot of chaos these next couple of years. I think it's also going to lead to a lot of short-sighted decisions from individuals transferring out of programs as a junior or senior, losing a ton of credits. I mean, that's one thing that these guys don't factor in. And I understand that we're basically inching towards college sports not being as tied into academics anyways. But the reality is, you know, most, most D1 athletes aren't going to go pro. And even if they do, they aren't going to, you know, be LeBron James. They're not going to be the superstar of the league. And having a degree is valuable. And I just think we're going to see a lot of guys, you know, transferring across the country, losing half their credits, all, you know, for this one year. And maybe it pans out. They have the right to do it. But I, I think that in the long run, a lot of these individuals are are going to be worse off from it. You know, they're they're not going to graduate. They're not going to have like that alumni base from the the school to go back to. Cause once you transfer out, you know, most fans, most alum, they're like, screw you, man. Like you don't, you're not with us anymore. So I don't, I don't know. I, I feel bad for some of these players. I think it's good in the short term in terms of them getting cash, them, you know, getting compensated. But I do wonder long-term and I'm, I'm sounding like a spokesperson for the NCAA at this point, but it is a factor that these guys need to consider. No, man. I mean, I think you're spot on. It's just, um, I mean, we're literally watching college football become a professional sport in a way. I mean, it used to be, uh, you technically call it amateurs, but I mean, at this point we're getting towards semi-pro professional real quick. Um, and a union or some type of player, uh, representation is just another step towards that. And, I don't know. I don't think it made as many headlines, this particular move from the Penn State players, as maybe that Northwestern one did um, about 10 years ago. Because that was when that kind of popped up, it was really like, oh, my God, can they do that type of thing? Like, uh, you know, is this actually going to happen or is this uh, just, you know, just a one time thing that pops up? Well, it, it has happened again. Um, and this time it's not as big because I think it's actually being taken more seriously by the schools and everything. Um, I think these players have valid concerns and that it's just something that's going to be taken care of as we move forward with this new, I don't even know if realignment's the right word anymore. Uh, it's just this restructuring of college football as a whole as we move forward. First guys through the walls always get bruised and bloodied, you know, and those Northwestern players to an extent took some heat. A lot of people inside the game, you know, applauded them because it was, they were just making the points that most people knew anyways, and that these players were getting shafted. Uh, that was actually led by Kane Coulter, Cherry Creek High School alum. So a Denver guy represented well, was a really fun high school athlete back in the day. I, I think you said it well, though. I mean, I don't even know if realignment's the right term at this point. And I, I heard coaches, you know, being out at Mountain West Media Days last week say similarly, like, at this point, can you even say definitively there is a power five after some of these moves have happened? You know, is it P5 and G5 still? I, I don't know. It's all gotten blurred. But on that, on that topic and, and kind of staying in the Big Ten, Big Ten commissioner says that the conference is going to be aggressive in the, in the next five-year window for realignment. Obviously, Notre Dame is kind of the, the white whale that both the SEC and, and Big Ten covet. That's the, the piece everybody wants to add. But it sounds like there's other schools that they're considering, you know, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal. I've seen Miami and Florida State get thrown out there. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. Obviously, Notre Dame is is the biggest brand that you're searching for. But to me, and unless your plan is just to own Los Angeles with USC and UCLA, the Big Ten's probably going to go coast to coast, right? Like you're you want to be 
You want to have that whole West Coast footprint. You're going to have the whole East Coast footprint. You have the Midwest. I mean, at that point, you're almost like the NFL. Yeah. Um, Kevin Warren had a lot to say about this at the Big Ten media days a few weeks ago. And it's just it, it's it's just so insane to me how much this is all changing, um, how he's talking about being in four time zones. I mean, I think that's the way you got to approach it, though. If you're Kevin Warren, if you're the Big Ten or the SEC, I mean, we've said it before. Or we're approaching this point where who knows what it'll be called, but eventually the Big Ten and SEC and whoever basically the top 50, 40 so teams in college football, um, it just seems like they're bound to break away. Um, so these conferences are going to be spanning across the country. And I think that is somewhat of the right strategy because at some point you're going to have to just brand yourself as this new conference or new league. Uh, maybe you keep it as the Big Ten. Um, so, I mean, if people are seeing the Big Ten logo and Big Ten football uh, from 10 a.m. to uh, when does the last game start? 1030 at night, sometimes with Hawaii. So it's just I guess it's kind of a power move, really. They're just kind of, you know, putting their money on the table and saying, look, we're trying to make the biggest, baddest uh, football league there is besides the NFL. Because that's really what they're headed towards. I mean, they're talking about adding Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, Miami, Florida State, uh, of course, teams across the country. And that's, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, these dominoes have to be falling quick. I know Notre Dame's the big one right now. Um, and I think that, you know, as we enter this last month of the offseason here, you might see another move or two, but it's, man, it, I just can't believe how fast this is changing. I was a little surprised to see some of the schools that were thrown out. I mean, Oregon, that makes sense. National football brand, the Nike connection. Washington is a, is a phenomenal school with, you know, a, a commitment to athletics. I understand those two. But when I see, you know, like Cal, that was a little bit surprising to me. But I mean, I know institutionally, obviously, it's, it's a phenomenal university, Berkeley. I mean, what has Cal accomplished athletically in the last 30 years outside of the Olympic sports? It's odd, but I, I really think it all comes down to TV revenue and the Big Ten, you know, like we said, wanting to have games on all day. At that point, you have the East Coast, and then you also have that 8.30 window that the Pac-12 and, and Mountain West play in. And while the fans of those respective universities get frustrated with it, and as somebody that has to cover games in that time slot, I too get frustrated with it. That's where all your TV money comes from because it's when nobody else in the country is playing. And it's been this weird tightrope for the Pac-12, for the Mountain West, wanting to still, you know, prioritize, prioritize somewhat of an in-person experience, you know, having butts in the seats. And when you play at 830, it, it doesn't happen, but they need the TV money. And if you're the Pac-12 and the Mountain West and, and all these West Coast leagues at this point, I think you almost have to lean into that and just really accept the fact that if we want to factor into the national conversation, this is the way we do it. We play when nobody else is. Right. Um, we'll get to the Pac-12 a bit later on, but I think that's kind of one of the best bargaining chips that the Pac-12 has. Um, I mean, you have the hashtag Pac-12 after dark, like it's a legit thing. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the old, you and I are not the only ones who love Pac-12 after dark, stay up for that stuff every Saturday during the season. Um, but I think that's just what their biggest weapon should be at this point. Kind of weaponize that, um, say that, Hey, you own this entire time slot. Um, and if you start to, whether they add the PAC 12 teams, um, you know, you can start to see, you know, Oregon and Michigan or Oregon, Ohio state, um, at eight 30 out in Eugene. I mean, these games can still happen like that. And that's kind of a way to, to direct eyes more towards these West coast teams. I feel as opposed to whatever the Pac-12 is doing now, which is just playing amongst themselves, obviously. So, Well, and I mean, the Pac, obviously, they were victims of a, a bad TV deal. I mean, the Pac-12 network is just not available most of the country. It's the same deal that, that killed the, the Mountain, which was the Mountain West. People forget the Mountain West was actually the first conference to have their own TV network, and it was really good. The content was awesome. They had former players working for it, Kyle Bell, CSU legend. They'd have like behind the scenes content, but then uh, they got in a carrier dispute. And then as soon as, you know, Comcast or one of those drops you, it just, it screws you. And that's why they've all gone away from that type of stuff. Unless you're a big enough brand like BYU to just 
have it solo. Anyways, that was just a little side tangent. Real quick, though, MMA fans, as the fighters face off during UFC 277, you can take down your own big win with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. This Saturday, new customers can bet $5 on any fighter to win, get $100 in free bets, win or lose. Want even more action? You can double your winnings on a same-game parlay. Combine multiple bets like which fighter will win, how long the fight will last, and more. Just place your UFC 277 same-game parlay, and if it hits, you'll win double. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use that promo code DNVR. Bet $5 on any UFC 277 fighter to win. Get $100 in free bets. No matter what, that code DNVR this Saturday. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Shout out DraftKings. All right. The... uh, Staying in, in line with the Big Ten, I know I jumped around a little bit there. Easy to do in these conversations. You start thinking about one talking point, and then all of a sudden you're down a rabbit hole. Ohio State's athletic director, and I had it in my notes here. Let me pull it back up. Um, anyways, he said that the college football playoff is heading towards 16 teams. And that's a little bit surprising to me, considering just last year, you had this expanded college football playoff proposal, and it wasn't the Big Ten that rejected it. I should throw that out. It was the ACC and the Pac-12, who now have an egg on their head after doing so. What do you think about this? Is this, I mean, is this progress? Is that too many teams? Um, are you surprised that he said it publicly? I'm not surprised that he said it publicly. <clears throat> I just think the math is interesting, honestly. I mean, 16 teams. There's only 16 teams in the Big Ten now with uh, USC, UCLA. Um, so that's just an interesting part of it, I believe. But I, it's this was inevitable, right? I think 16 is quite a pretty catastrophic jump from four, though. I don't know if we get there uh, right off the bat. Um but I think the college football playoff has a huge role in all this. And, you know, they've kind of, I don't want to say they've been silent, but it feel like it has been a silent kind of off season from the CFP or at least uh, the talking heads that run the CFP, because I mean, they have an opportunity here too. I mean, they're obviously in bed with ESPN and they kind of have a big role in how the playoff is selected. Um, but it just seems like the CFP could have an opportunity to really, you know, take this by the horns and I guess kind of direct this realignment uh, restructuring type of thing. Um, But 16 is, I mean, do we even have 16 teams you'd be wanting to see in a potential national championship? I mean, every year we talk about, I mean, four, five, six teams at most. 16 is just, uh, that's a bit much for me already. I think with the 16 team playoff, you have to eliminate conference championship games. I think with the 16-team playoff, you're having the top teams play at least one, but really likely two unnecessary games. That said, it, it's it's all about the hope. You know what I mean? It's it's keeping interest on a national level, and that's what makes NCAA tournament so fun, right? The the, the reality is is that most years it's you know going to be a Kansas that comes out on top, just like it was last year. But not always. Sometimes you get some chaos. You know, I was I was there in person when St. Peter's beat Kentucky. And it changed my opinion a little bit. It really did. Because, you know, I the, the last couple of years, I was just like, is it really worth making Alabama or Clemson play, you know, hang 60 on someone? But it's just that hope. It's the possibility. It's the thought that you have a, a legitimate chance to contend for a national championship and it, it allows you to avoid some of the the UCF scenarios where you potentially go undefeated and, and don't even get an opportunity. And to me, like that that's a problem. That's a problem. I understand the strength of schedule and all of that, but what are you playing for at that point? So you at that with a 16 team playoff, you at least make it so theoretically everybody in the country has a chance to contend for a national championship. That's a good point. Going back uh, to the final AP poll from last year, um, starting at 16, you had the University of Louisiana, 15 was Wake Forest, 14 Clemson, 13 Pitt, 12 Utah, 11 Ole Miss. Um, I'm not going to name them all off, but 
that would be the back end of this playoff. I mean, you'd have Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, uh, I guess there's Cincinnati in there too, playing against Wake Forest, Louisiana, uh, Clemson. I mean, that's kind of a, a big ticket game if you ever had a another Alabama-Clemson matchup in the playoff. Um, but, I mean, these teams were not uh, – they weren't championship material. It's just – at what point do you start watering down the product? I mean, you can already kind of argue that it already is sort of watered down. I understand what you mean, though, with hope. Um, it plays a big role. And if there ever would be, uh, in this hypothetical world, uh, a 16-team playoff, if there ever was a 16-over-1 upset or, hell, a 15-over-2, I mean, it, it would be monumental news. And I think that would be – I mean, I, I, we're kind of far off from it, but if you saw that, that would really kind of be you know, a banner for the CFP. Like, look, we actually have competition here. Um, this isn't just a glorified, uh, you know, contest that we put on where Alabama has to formally go on the field and win. Um, if you actually have an upset that kind of actually builds some credibility, I think, I just think we're a bit far off from that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, the quality of play in a lot of those games would not be great. And that's, you know, that's, that's the caveat with the NCAA tournament too. Sometimes an upset in round one leads to a dud in round two because the Cinderella story runs out and, you know, they get curb stumped. But I, I just like the, the possibility of everyone having a, a legitimate opportunity to contend for a national championship. We all know realistically, like, you know, you're probably not going to beat the big boys, but I, I would think that those games would be at least a little bit more intriguing than some of these bowl games have gotten. I mean, we're at a point now where, top NFL draft prospects opt out of New Year's Six Bowls if they don't have an opportunity to contend for a national championship. And so it's like, I mean, if you don't want to eat, if you don't even want to play in the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the, you know, the games we grew up watching, I think this at least, hopefully, would lead to some better postseason game with, you know, more participants. And that has to be the goal, right? Um, to make the actual postseason more interesting. Because at this point, in its current state, it uh, it definitely needs some kind of uh, kick in the rear end because there's not much, especially when you look at the bowl games and how bowl games outside of the New Year's Six are ran. Um, I mean, you talk about guys dropping out of the Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Sugar Bowl. I mean, what about the guys dropping out of the Las Vegas Bowl, man? I mean, if you have a draft prospect that plays in any of these games um, outside of the New Year's Six, it's almost kind of a guarantee at this point that they're not going to play. Um, so the complete restructuring of, I mean, college football is just so up in the air right now. It's all just so in flux. Uh, but the postseason kind of structure is going to have to change too, I think, in terms of how you match these teams up, um, you know, what these games actually mean, if they do mean anything outside of a playoff. Uh, I don't know if that's possible, but that's just kind of, these are the issues that are going to have to get figured out here as we move forward the next, I don't know, five or so years. Well, and kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning, I think revenue sharing and paying the players directly could be a portion of that. You know what I mean? If you, by participating in this bowl, every player on the team is, is getting a, a portion of the revenue gained, you know, some of these big-time bowls are, are worth a lot of money. Some of them aren't. Some of the small-time bowl schools are losing money on them, so it wouldn't make a difference. But I mean, the college football playoff, these New Year's Six Bowls, that's that's big time money. And I think there is a way to entice these guys. But I think a lot of it, you know, revolves around some type of compensation and just kind of limiting the the risk reward, you know, especially when right now it's, well, I'm playing for nothing and risking everything. Um, we'll get into it when we get into the ACC. But yeah, that the revenue stuff side of that is really interesting because, I mean, how often have you heard of, like, first this last year when Cincinnati made the the playoff, um, I'm sure there were people talking about, oh, this is great for the American Conference, how much money they're going to get because Cincinnati made the playoff. Um, you know, they're going to be on the big ESPN Final Four game. And that's always been one of the talking points, I think, when you see these teams make these conference, uh, or not conference, but like playoff games, New Year's Six type games, um, how it's good for the conference that this other team made it. Um, and the revenue part of that was why that argument was made, right? Um, but this also just kind of wraps into the whole issue of what we've got brewing in college football. Um, you know, if you're a Cincinnati and you make the college football, why would you want to share your revenue money 
for your season with uh, you know the crappy teams in the American Conference? Why should Temple be getting some money because you made the playoff? You know what I mean? Um, it's all just it's it's all wrapped up in that. I think the revenue side of this is just going to drive it all. Well, that's why USC and UCLA left the Pac-12. But I mean, in in theory, it's so that when you have a down year, you are also you know protected. In, you right. know, the, the whole point of being in a conference and having each other's back. Um, but I think that's probably enough about the Big Ten. Let's move on. Let's talk about the ACC, and then we'll wrap up in the final segment just with some final thoughts on realignment, the Pac-12 Mountain West, this half of the country. Real quick, Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. Beers on tap and regular seltzers are being sold at the bar. At least it will be once we reopen. You guys know we love our Breck beers at DNVR. Breck Brew has a beer for any occasion. There's no better way to watch a game than having a nice cold Breck Brew. They've been doing it for over 30 years, and it comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. They have a good company hard seltzer line, fire. Lemonade seltzers, fire. Hard soda, you knew it, fire. Juice Drop IPA, no matter what you do, Breck is the move. Check out the Breck Beer Locator to find the closest liquor store, grocery store, whatever near you. Go get a 12-pack, crush them Stone Cold Steve Austin style, and then go back and get a different 12-pack. Well, have somebody drive you. Go back, get a different one, and do it again. We love Breck Brew. No better way to uh, make your summer fun, because that's what we all need, a little bit more fun. Um, Yeah. Word. Let's talk about the ACC. All right. Keeping in line with the potential of an expanded playoff, ACC commissioner also wants an expanded playoff. Makes sense. Um, I don't know why they rejected it last year. That would be my main point was you had a viable proposal and then y'all told them to stick it where the sun doesn't shine because you got cute with Clemson. And then now you realize that you're stuck with your your media rights deal for the next eleven years or whatever the hell it is till twenty thirty six, even longer than that. I don't know. The ACC has gotten on under my skin a little bit. I'm a little annoyed with them. There's a part of me that kind of wants to see them get what they deserve. I feel the same way about the Pac-12, if we're being honest. But I I hate feeling that way towards the the Washington states of the world who got screwed by USC and Oregon leaving like, or UCLA and USC leaving. Anyways, the, the, the really interesting thing though, as far as ACC goes, I think is just what could happen, you know, with Miami and some of these schools. Cause there is a report out that Miami ha- has yet to see any interest from the big 10 or SEC. Is that, is that surprising at all to you? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I have, it is kind of surprising to me that I think other than Notre Dame, it's really just been the Pac-12 who's gotten the most buzz from the Big Ten. I mean, I guess the coast-to-coast thing that we mentioned earlier kind of plays in there. Um, but this is something we talked about on the last draft pod or something I mentioned was I I get why they're adding, you know, schools like USC, UCLA. They obviously do want the LA market. Um, and the, as we've already mentioned, the revenue sharing and the kind of markets play a huge role here. But at some point, you got to think about the football. And if you want the football to be as good as it possibly could be, why are you not talking to Clemson? Why are you not talking to Miami? Um, you know, I guess you could maybe throw a pit in there at this point. But like teams like Florida State, these teams that are they can recruit, they have history in terms of actually being good um, national titles. Uh, if you want to actually have a good league. I feel like at some point you're going to have to worry about the, the on-field product and the football. Um, so it, it has been a bit surprising. I think that these teams haven't really received interest from the SEC and big 10 in particular yet. Uh, it's gotta be coming. Um, I don't, I just, what is the ACC supposed to do? I don't think they can really hold on in their current state. Based on everything that I've read, their media rights contract is pretty lock solid. And the thought process is that nobody is going to be able to get out of it without paying an insane amount of money. So I think part of it is maybe these leagues are just kind of watching it all play out. You know, as as much as we talk about the realignment news, kind of like last year, aside from you know the Big Twelve backfilling with the the additions from the American, 
you know, you had Oklahoma and Texas leave, and then there was this thought that we were going to see all these moves, and then you know, nothing really happened for a year. Now you had another move, and there's the thought that we're going to see all this movement right away. These things take time. I, I'm sure that the Big Ten and I would think that the Big 12 and the SEC would be looking at schools like Florida State and in Miami and in North Carolina, obviously, you know, with what they get from a basketball perspective, Duke maybe. Um, I, I just think that these schools are kind of stuck at the moment. So I, I do wonder, like, whenever the first ACC team is able to get out, I think that's when we really see kind of chaos ensue and maybe some mass movement, but that might take 10 years. It might take longer. Good point. Also the thing with the ACC too, is I mean, we, we always talk about football, of course, but I mean, the ACC has so much weight when it comes to college basketball, you know, with Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, um, all these teams here, I think that's going to have to play its role here in some point where, either the ADs for these colleges, or maybe you hear, you know, some of the more high profile uh, head football or head basketball coaches at these programs kind of step in and go, hold on a second here. Like, obviously there's this whole other side. Um, the NCAA tournament is obviously something that still generates a lot of income for these schools. And it's just a huge sporting event in general. I mean, outside of football season, it's probably the event um, that people most pay attention to. Um, March Madness and all that. So I, I, I definitely see your point. And I, this league is just so interesting because of that factor, the basketball factor in particular, uh, because I do think that's going to play a role here at some point, even in the football realignment. If I'm the big 12 and I have an opportunity to add, you know, the university of Arizona, obviously they're not bringing much football wise, but I mean, that basketball conference would be epic it would be really entertaining. It just, we're at a point where the, the regular season games just don't generate the type of revenue that, that football does. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. It's why we didn't see the mountain West pursue Wichita state heavier than they did because they were just like, they're really not going to actually make us more money is the truth because yes, we get that NCAA tournament money, but they're also getting a, you know, a piece of our football money. They don't have football. Maybe you could have worked it out. So like the, the revenue sharing is different. I don't know. It, it gets all wonky, but I, I've always wanted Gonzaga to join the Mountain West. But I think if you're Gonzaga, they recognize like we're going to basically make the same amount of money no matter what we do. We pay a bunch of, play a bunch of big schools, make our money in non-conference play. And then we just wipe the floor with everybody in our league and it's fine. And then we go to the tournament and make a bunch of money there. I don't, it's it's a weird spot. I, I do wonder if at some point the Pac-12, the Big 12, while still you know aiming to be relevant in the football landscape, just says you want to know what we are going to be the basketball league. You know we're gonna the Pac-12, for instance, if they added San Diego State and somehow were able to sway Gonzaga at some point, well that's a pretty damn good West Coast basketball league you've got there. So I mean there there are a lot of possibilities, a lot of different ways this could could end up impacting the the local programs, the programs that we care about here, CSU, CU, uh, the Utah schools, all that stuff, just the West Coast in general. So let's let's kind of transition to that and, and just end with how this could potentially impact the Pac-12 and the Mountain West. We talked about it briefly when all of this happened, what, like a month ago when Oklahoma and, and Texas made the or good Lord, we talked about so many schools today <laughs> when USC, USC and UCLA, UCLA made the news that they'd be leaving the PAC 12. Do you, do you feel better about the stability of the PAC based on some of the reports I've seen? It, it does seem like those 10 schools may be a little bit more tethered together than initially implied. It's important to remember some of these people tweeting out rumors and whatnot. Don't actually have sources. They're just guessing you guess enough. You're going to hit a couple every now and then. But uh, I think that's probably the most interesting thing to me is I, it, I do think there's an opportunity for these maybe just 10 schools to stay together. Yeah, uh, they definitely seem to have become more united ever since UCLA and USC left. Um, in terms of CU, though, at this point, um, it's really tough to say. Um, I mean, where do you find more value as a 
as a football team playing in the big 12 or what's left of the pac 12 here i mean personally i think it's got to be the pac 12. i mean other than i guess the newcomers kind of coming in your cincinnati's your byu's uh in the big 12 of course you have oklahoma state and baylor i guess um, but that's really it in terms of like top level football talent but in the pac 12 you can still play amongst these teams these oregon's washington stanford um i mean they're, they're all not utah you could throw in there of course too they're all not at the top of their game right now uh stanford usually or stanford the one i'm mentioning most here it's still i think the best chance for them in terms of being relevant is playing those teams i mean what do you really gain if you're C if you're cu and you're playing against iowa state and kansas state not to like kind of dog on those teams but i mean if you ever find your or ever see yourself again as like a, a national title contender which i think CU should still see, um, you know, maybe not that as their like trajectory at this point, but you still have that banner to carry if you're CU. I mean, you're a team that was really relevant, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, who's to say that you can't be in the future here? Um, moving forward, though, it's just I, it's tough to see that these Pac-12 schools really kind of, I guess, disintegrate. I mean, do you really see the Pac-12 getting picked over? Um, maybe Colorado's the first team in that domino. Maybe they, they do leave for the Big 12, but it's just like you said, they seem more united than ever now. The TV metrics say that schools like even Cal do better numbers than Baylor and, and those type of programs. So it is something to consider. I think, wow, the Pac-12, you know, they're not, you know, again, it's coming back to that 830 time slot. You know, part of it is they're playing with less competition. And I think to overlook that would be ignorant. And because you're just saying like definitively, see Cal gets more numbers than Baylor. And it's like, okay, yes, but what games are they competing with? You know, are you competing with the SEC games in Oklahoma, Texas, or are you competing with, you know, San Jose state versus CSU? It, it you know, so I, I, I think that if you're these schools, as long as you can keep Oregon and Washington in the mix, that's your best bet. The problem is, is can you really trust that they're not going to dip the first chance they get? And the same goes for Stanford and Cal. You know, if all of a sudden the Big Ten's like, we're just going to take all the top academic institutions on the West Coast. We like that a couple of them have big football brands, but more than anything, we just want to have some travel partners. Then, then what? You know, if you're CU, if you're the Arizona schools, your Oregon State, your Washington State, what do you do at that point? And that's why I think a lot of them, while the the commitment, at least publicly, is you know they're a little bit more tethered together. I think everybody kind of has one foot out the door at this point. And you could say the same thing if you're you know in the Mountain West or wherever. I think uh, also another thing I want to mention. I mean that Colorado and Utah in particular have going for them. I mean they already came from other conferences, right? So, I mean, I guess in the, in the big 12 in the mountain West. So, I mean, I guess that there's not really that same level of commitment. I would, I would expect, I guess, from someone like an Oregon or a Washington or a Stanford to kind of keep the pack together. Um, I would imagine that Utah and Colorado are kind of like, well, we've already been through this. I mean, we just joined the pack 12, I mean, what, 10 years ago or so. Um, I'm sure that there, if there's a team being more aggressive than Oregon or Washington, I'd imagine it has to be Utah and Colorado because they've already kind of seen how this realignment stuff really actually affects you and how if you're not aggressive and you're not kind of on the forefront of this, you're going to kind of get picked over. Even if you're Colorado, a team that only won three games, um, it's, it's just you, you've already been through it. You already know what to expect, I guess. And I guess that's something that they have in their corner. I was a little bit surprised to see, at least online, and you got to take online reactions with a grain of salt because it's not necessarily representative of how an entire fan base feels. But I saw a lot of Utah fans kind of turning their nose up at the possibility of, of going to the, the Big 12. And that was a little bit surprising to me. I do think that you know, the universities you're associated with in the Pac-12, particularly now that Oklahoma and Texas are going, it, it's better brands. You know what I mean? Stanford, Oregon, not necessarily from an athletic standpoint, but just, you know, they're better schools. 
I don't know though, man. Like you're not that far removed from being in the Mountain West. It's not like they've dominated the Pac-12. They're a good football program. You know, I bet on them to win the league this year. There's a maybe, maybe take a look in the mirror a little bit though. You know what I mean? Like let's let's all understand reasonably where we factor into the national conversation. Exactly. And I think that's what makes CU interesting in this whole thing is because I feel like other than the Oregon Washington um type of you know can you bring us in big 10 type thing other than that i feel like colorado's been one of the teams more rumored i mean you've had uh ad's talking about from all these schools but it was colorado's ad who said that look the pac-12 didn't lose a playoff team um they have just seemed weirdly active to me in all this and i just have to have to wonder if maybe they're one of the the next teams to kind of make a move. Cause as I mentioned, they've already been through it. And as you said, I mean, Utah, I get it. Maybe look in the mirror a bit. Um, But I think Utah has got to capitalize on where they are now as a football team and realize that. And I mean, obviously they're a top 10, 15 type program at this point. Um, I guess you kind of have to use that and carry that and uh, swing that stick while you have it, you know, that's kind of the last thing that I want to talk about. I think, I mean, ultimately, if you're CSU, CU, you're not the type of program that's going to be driving these moves because you don't have that weight. You don't have that cachet. You know, you're not OU. You're not the Texas Longhorns. You've got to win. Cincinnati getting invited by the Big 12, it's because they won. Central Florida, it's because they won. Now, there are, other, there are other factors. You know, if winning was the only thing that mattered, Boise State would already be in a power conference they're still going to be on the outside looking in because from a facility standpoint, from a university standpoint, TV market, they're just, they don't bring enough to the table. But if you're CSU, if you're CU, you have the facilities, you have the TV market in the Denver area. You at least have a history of winning. Now, obviously CU with a national title, what they did in the nineties, 2000 more so, but I mean, Sonny Lubick didn't, you know, lose more than five games for like 15 straight years. So let's not act like, CSU can't be relevant under the right circumstances. What you've got to do at this point is you've just got to win. You've got to do it so that it's not just selling the the what if, the hypothetical, what we could be. You have to be able to come to the table and be like, look, we have won, you know, three years from now, eight plus games, three years in a row. We're three and oh in bowl games. We have wins over top 25 teams. If you're not winning, if you're not, you know, in the national conversation, it's all going to be moot. Because somebody, there's going to be somebody sexier new year and newer and flasher. It's a what have you done for me lately type discussion. And CU and CSU, they haven't done enough lately. Right. And I, this is something I remember talking about. I think one of the first times uh, we got into realignment this offseason was I thought that CSU has a real big opportunity in front of them. It's Obviously, a huge window, man. You got a, finally got a coach that you believe in. You brought in some talent. You've got to hit fast though, and that's hard. And I don't, that's why I don't want to like have frame the entire narrative of like the next two years, like talking about every game, like, oh man, you lost. You don't have a chance to get to the Big 12 yeah. a couple of years from now. Cause it's just like, you know, what I mean, like you've just got to enjoy the ride. Right. But right. the reality is like you are so far invested. You built the stadium. You got to be able to pay for it. If you want all this to pay off, you know, the grand vision at some point, it's got to come down to can you win? And I think. Hopefully, they have that opportunity, and and maybe see you too. Although it, it does seem like uh, nobody is is taking the buffs to to do much this year, but who knows? I mean, in the transfer portal era, you just you really do never know. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's a huge thing, and I think that's important. What you said there. I mean, if you lose a game in September, uh, week two or whatever, it, you shouldn't be freaking out and going, "Oh God, here goes our chances now," because I don't think that. That, that's the point we're trying to make. I don't think that's what this is about. Um, but it's just, it's still the, CSU obviously saw that they could be better. Um, that's why they fired the coach. That's why they got, went and got Jane Norville. That's why they've been so active in the transfer portal. That's why they've tried to tried to up facilities. Um, they just know they can be better. And, you know, kudos to them for that. Uh, that's, that's, I think, the type of teams, though, that are going to be picked as we kind of move through this. So I don't want to say picked first, um, but obviously there's going to be winners and losers the whole way through. 
Um, and you just want to be picked at some point. You just want to get a date to the dance at some point, right? Um, and I think these programs like that, uh, like CSU at this point, that are kind of on this upward trajectory, you don't really know. I mean, obviously it's huge for them. But even if you don't win, I think that's, that's something that you can build off of and kind of sell yourself as. Um, you can sell yourself that, hey, look, we've only got better. We're actually serious about this. We've invested resources, uh, not only in our university and facilities, but in the coaching staff, um, in the transfer portal with this NIL stuff. Now, uh, that's that's the opportunity I think that's in front of them. Not, not necessarily uh, trying to win as many games as you can and just that being the be all end all. Of course, winning matters more than everything, but there's definite uh, ways to kind of, you know, advance through this realignment besides winning, I think. You've just got to elevate your brand in any way possible. And, and a winning product is a big component of that. But having a coach that is likable is also a big part of that. I mean, Nico Medved has done wonders for CSU men's basketball because it's the way he presents himself. He kills it in every single national interview he does. And guess what? When you do that, you're going to get invited to be on shows. Like just this week, Jay Norvell was on the Jim Rome show, the biggest sports radio talk show in the country. That's huge. You know, the only time national outlets have been talking about CSU the last couple of years was when Adazio would do something embarrassing and they were getting memed. I mean, like all of this stuff matters and, and CSU, they've, they've got the facilities at least right now, you know, in July of 2022, you've got a great basketball and men's head football coach. You have to capitalize this next like three to five years could. And I, and I, it stinks that it is this way that the stakes are so high, but a lot is on the line and they just signed CSU today. I'm going to do a Rams podcast later. They just signed their athletic director to a five-year contract extension. His legacy will single-handedly be determined by is CSU still in the national conversation five years from now or have they fallen behind? Uh, to go back to a more draft kind of standpoint here, I think this is what makes players like Trey McBride, uh, LaVisca Chanel so important. If your program gets one of these guys, especially in this NIL day, day and age, uh, you really got to promote the hell out of them, I think. Uh, kind of try and build your marketing around them if that's all that you have at this point. Um, just to you know, use CSU as the example, um, you know, last year, not a great football team by any means, but Trey McBride was the best tight end in the country. I think that's just something you got to rally behind. Um, that's really where you got to put all your eggs in the per proverbial basket there is you got to promote the hell out of your players. You got to show the players that look, even though we might not be a team that's always competing at the top of even the mountain West, if you're good and you can ball out, we're going to, you know, we're going to have your back. Um, and that's how you, I think, kind of develop a real following amongst uh, recruiting uh, the transfer portal uh, in terms of coaches, trying to get big name coaches. Obviously CSU was able to do that already though. Um, but there's other ways to do it than just winning games at this point. Think. Yeah, I mean, you got to stand by your guys, right? And obviously, the, being able to go to those recruits and have a track record of actually sending them to the pros is, is a strong selling point as well. But it, it's not just doing that. It's not just getting them there. It's the way that you get them there, the way that you promote them. And uh, you know, I, I have my moments where I'm critical of CSU, the decisions that they make. But one thing that I will give them great praise for, particularly these last couple of years... They promote the hell out of their guys. David Roddy, Trey McBride, they were everywhere. You know, David Roddy was a first round pick. They supported him. The coaches, it was a really tough call. I mean, literally up until the day he ultimately decided he was going to stay in the NBA draft and not come back, you know, he was still on the fence and they, they allowed him to, to be patient, even though, you know, negative, it negatively impacted CSU from a recruiting standpoint, because now you're way far in the cycle. You know, it's hard to, to get a quality replacement, but that's what you got to do. It's what you got to do. You got to stand by your guys and CSU's done a good job of that. They've had a lot of talented guys. It's, it's big for the brand, but you've just, you got to start winning at some point because, you know, like Shaq Barrett coming out of CSU only does so much for the program. If you're not also, you know, winning and backing it up. And, you know, it's one thing when the, the fans learn, Oh, Shaq Barrett, he went to Colorado state. I'm going to look up Colorado state. Oh, they're three and nine this year. Yes, I'm not going to watch them. You know what I mean? But if you look them up and it's, oh, they're eight and one, they're playing Thursday, I'm going to check them out. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
going back to promoting the players, that's just what you have to do. Um, if you ever get, you know, a matchup with a, a Trey McBride going up against, uh, oh God, I don't know, just a, a all, all Mountain West safety or something. I mean, that's just, that's Chad the, last year. Exactly. That's the avenue you got to go down, I think. Um, because it, as it all ties into each other. But as I said, I think when we first started talking about this, we're eventually moving towards this NIL realignment stuff being just a, the league under NFL. It's just going to become a junior league. And in order to kind of do that, you need players. And, you know, these teams are going to have players. Your Colorado States are still going to have NFL guys. Your Wyoming's Colorado's are still going to have NFL guys. And that's just the way I think in this new, I don't know, restructuring age, you got to kind of find different ways to go about it, to promote your program. Um, you can't just rely on who's in your conference anymore to kind of carry you through. You kind of have to be creative on your own. If you don't take the reins, you're going to get left behind. I mean, it's, it's a do or don't or die time basically for all these programs. So it's going to be interesting. Obviously we'll be here throughout it all. I'll be covering CSU on the beat, but from a national perspective, you know, me and Jake and hopefully Hank and Andre will be here a little bit more frequently too. Although Hank getting promoted to the Broncos beat has thrown a bit, little bit of a wrench in our recording schedule. Uh, regardless though, you know, whatever's happened in college football, the NFL draft, we will be here. We'll keep you updated. Thank you to everybody that continues to support our content. Looking forward to getting, you know, back to our back to our shit, you know, just previewing NFL draft prospects, having a more regular hey, schedule, games. not having to talk about all these wonky news things that I got to do a bunch of research on. But uh games are around the corner, man. Well, I mean, well, I, I feel it too. I, I I'm so ready for this season for this reason. So we can kind of get off the whole realignment stuff. I'll take a break and actually just enjoy the sport. It's just too much hypotheticals. I want to talk about players that actually do rock right now. And there's a lot of them. I've been recently finished my Phil Steele magazine. Always a, a must read in the preseason. Going to get into the Athlon preview here pretty soon. It's a good time. Good time to be a college football fan. Jake, thank you for joining me, my man. This was great. It's always fun to, to chop it up with you. Khakis wearing graphic tees, feeling way too trendy. Raps that kill. Oh, I'm deadly. Primed and ready like machetes at a deli in New Delhi. Feeling scummy like Martin Scarelli. Turn jam into jelly, then drink it like juice. The water's the truth, so I sip on that too. Skinny looking kid with no car keys. Like the only thing I drive is RCRV. He's got the stash like Steve Harvey. Oh, I'm gnarly like not from.